Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Greetings, psychonauts. Welcome to another episode of Psychedelicast. I'm Clinton Cayley. Thank you for joining us for another interview segment. Today we are featuring a chat with the uh, very interesting Michelle Miller of Heart First Series. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things today. This was a very kind of open-ended conversation that uh, entailed a lot of things, including the psychedelic experience. Um, but this one was a very enjoyable conversation with a with a wonderful lady. Um Today we are joined by psychedelic wild woman, world traveler, and author, Michelle Miller. Join us as Michelle regales us with with her tale of living in America as a psychedelic black sheep, her trippy inspirations to hit the road, and life as an expat in the wilds of Panama. She has wandered the globe, explored psychedelic realms, and is now writing a series of narrative-driven stories about her charmed life. Michelle is currently exploring traditional methods of publishing her memoir, Heart First Series, and we offer this chat about leaving the comforts of the world you know to venture into a life of adventure, challenges, and freedom. I hope and I believe that you all will enjoy this episode very much. I know I enjoyed uh, chatting with Michelle very much. Before we get to our chat with Michelle, we got some stuff to talk about as per the usual. First of all, as every episode, I will implore you to consider joining us um, on the Patreon patrons group, www.patreon.com slash psychedelicast. Uh, there's only one tier. It's $3 a month. Um, you do get some extra content there. You get um, early releases of the video format of all of these chats, including this one, which um, has already been posted. So uh, Patreon patrons have access to that, usually at minimum a week in advance, sometimes more like 10 days, even up to two weeks in advance. Um, And you also support the show. Um, $3 a month is not a lot to ask for the uh, amount of work that goes into the show. I feel good about that. Um, I I thought about it a lot, and I I think that's a solid price point. In fact, I think uh, in the future I may raise it. but uh, if you guys want to support the show and uh, get some extra content, you can join us there on patreon.com slash psychedelicast. If you don't feel like monetarily um, supporting the show, which I totally understand because I listen to a lot of podcasts that I don't uh, support monetarily, so I totally get it. Um, there's a lot of great shows out there. There's a lot of great projects to support. This is just one of many, um, so I understand that we can, you can't... Um, at least, I, well, I shouldn't say you can't, but I don't support monetarily all of the projects that I listen to. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, but if you don't want to spend your hard-earned dollar, what you can do to support the show is follow us on our social media accounts. Uh, on Facebook, it'll be at Psychedelicast. On Instagram, it'll be at Pod. Once again, our original Instagram account was arbitrarily um, deactivated with about 2.7 thousand followers. Um, I spent years building that account, so that was really kind of a, a low blow for me. I have never received any 
uh, reason for Instagram as to why the account was removed. Uh, they never emailed me back, um, and it's been well over six months, so I don't expect that that account will ever be um, reactivated. I had hoped that for a while, but I don't anymore. But follow us there on Instagram at PsychedelicastPod. You can also follow us on Twitter at PsychedelicCast with two Ts, although I rarely post on Twitter. Too much social media for me. Um, I remain completely disconnected from social media. Uh, personally, I only operate social media accounts for the podcast at this point, and I don't see myself going back to uh, personal social media world. Uh, my life is much less stressful and anxious without it in general. Um, I just don't, I just don't want to be there anymore. So I left and it's been great. I would urge you all to give it a shot. Um, it's been one of the more important things that I've done in my life recently. All that being said, um, the final method that you can utilize to support the show is to subscribe to it on the podcatchers that you use. We're available on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, um, I don't even know. All the big ones. Uh, subscribe there. Drop us some reviews. Leave us a little, uh, a few stars there. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. This uh, helps our visibility on these platforms and allows the show to reach more listeners. And I appreciate that. Thank you guys for your help in that aspect. Um, I, in other news, in my personal life news... Um, I'll be taking a trip to Sao Paulo exactly one month from today. Um, the American border remains closed to U.S. citizens. Uh, pardon me. The U.S. border remains closed to Brazilian citizens. Um, anyone traveling to America from Brazil must quarantine in another country, uh, such as Mexico, for two weeks before they can enter the U.S. Um, so... My girlfriend, Iris, it's not an option for her to visit me here in the U.S. I have to go to her in Brazil, which is fine. I really enjoyed my time in Brazil. I'm looking forward to being back there. Uh, so I'll be spending 10 days there in Sao Paulo, uh, spending some time with her and her family and friends and, and her son, Victor, and, and Jocelino, the big white polar bear dog. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Iris and I are working on our plans for our future. We are very seriously <clears throat> discussing moving her here to America in 2022. So that's a logistical nightmare, but uh, if we want to be together, no amount of logistical nightmare will be able to stop that. So we're, we're discussing that, planning that, and working on that. Um, I'm still pretty excited about having that piece accepted by the Woody Creeker magazine. That'll be uh, edited by the late Hunter S. Thompson's wife. I will have a uh, portion of writing that I did uh, late last year published in the special edition of that magazine to accompany uh, the great and powerful Ralph Steadman's uh, new piece of artwork entitled Viral Menace. So I'm very excited personally about that. I think I will... Um, do an audio version of that and release it as a no-trip sitter for Patreon patrons only. Um, and of course, I'll promote that via the the podcast pages when it releases because I don't have my own personal social media and I can't keep that to myself because this to me is one of the highest honors of my life. And actually, Michelle and I will discuss that somewhat in the, in the episode you're about to listen to. Um... I have I seem to have 
cracked the code on the audio issue, and I think we've gonna we're gonna have good high quality audio from both parties from here on out. It's been a long time coming, but I finally put that together. Um, I hope that you guys can appreciate that. I'm sorry that some of it came off a little dirty as I was traveling, but hey, that's just how it goes, bro. Um, not much else to say here. Why don't we get into, uh, let's do psychedelic news, and then we'll jump right into this chat with Michelle Miller of Heart First Series about her, uh, her charmed life and her travels and uh, the psychedelic influence in her uh, wanderings. Thank you, guys. In psychedelic news today, we have a story for you, another homegrown local story from right here in the great state of Texas. Um, I know last episodes was also in the same vein. Um, I think this may just be an an expounding on that uh, last piece, but uh, here it is. Texas Senate approves psychedelics and marijuana concentrates bill. Um, No, actually, the last segment was um, this bill was going to the Senate. So it's been approved by the Senate. And I believe I said in the last episode that I was uh, doubtful that it would pass Senate approval. And it actually has. So this is a, although the bill is not uh, super... It's not a huge leap forward. It is a a baby step in the right direction for Texas, which is good for those of us who live in and love Texas. From MarijuanaMoment.net, Texas Senate approves psychedelics and marijuana concentrates bills. Published on May the 23rd, 2021. Written by Kyle Yeager. The Texas Senate has approved House-passed bills to reduce criminal penalties for possessing marijuana concentrates and require the state to study the therapeutic potential of psychedelics like psilocybin and MDMA. But because senators amended both pieces of this legislation, they must first head back to their originating chamber before they can be sent to the governor's desk. Meanwhile, advocates are closely monitoring a separate bill to expand the state's medical cannabis program, which cleared the House and was referred to a Senate committee on Thursday. But the fate of that proposal remains murky as a legislative deadline approaches. It must be acted on in the Senate State Affairs Committee in order to advance to the floor, and the end of the session is nearing. Under HB 1802, which passed the Senate on Saturday in a 25-5 vote, the state would be required to study the medical risks and benefits of psilocybin, MDMA, and ketamine for military veterans in partnership with Baylor College of Medicine and a military-focused medical center. As amended by a House committee, it would also mandate a clinical trial into psilocybin for veterans with PTSD, in addition to a broader review of the scientific literature on all three substances. The Senate adopted a balanced budget amendment to the bill clarifying that the psychedelic studies wouldn't be carried out unless there's funding allocated to the effort, a situation already accounted for by a contingent rider for the funds. Former Governor Rick Perry, who also served as U.S. Energy Secretary, has called on lawmakers to make to approve the psychedelics legislation. The cannabis concentrates measure that also advanced through the Senate is a modest reform compared to another proposal to more broadly decriminalize marijuana possession that recently passed the House but has since stalled. But if enacted, 
HB 2593, would mark the first time that Texas has reduced penalties associated with marijuana since the 1970s. The legislation, which the Senate approved by a vote of 24-7 on Friday night, would make possession of up to two ounces of concentrates a Class B misdemeanor, which does still carry the threat of jail time, but it would be significantly less serious than the felony classification such offenses currently come with. Senators added an amendment before passing the bill, however, to calculate THC potency in legal hemp products by counting all forms of tetrahydrocannabinol, a change that would upend the market for Delta-8 Delta THC products. This is concerning since hundreds, if not thousands, of Texas businesses who have survived the economic impacts of the pandemic will be impacted, as well as the many customers who have benefited from these products, Jax Finkel, executive director of Texas Normal, told Marijuana Moment. Legality based on the chemical makeup of a plant is expensive, ineffective, and a failed policy. It's not clear when the House will consider accepting the changes to the marijuana and psychedelics bills, but the session is set to end on May 31st. If the body approves the Senate amended legislation, it will go to Governor Greg Abbott, who has not yet publicly weighed in on either measure. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who, as the Senate's presiding officer, decides if and when legalization will advance, is a vocal opponent of marijuana reform and has played a role in killing or slowing down cannabis measures. The current House-passed medical cannabis expansion measure, for example, was not referred to a Senate committee until several days after it arrived in the chamber, a delay that has jeopardized its chances of clearing a floor vote by the end of the session. The bill, HB 1535, would add cancer, chronic pain, and PTSD as conditions that could qualify people for the state's limited medical cannabis program. It would further allow the Department of State Health Services to add more qualifying conditions via administrative rulemaking, and would also raise the THC cap for medical marijuana products from 0.5% to 5%. The House approved a cannabis decriminalization bill in 2019, but it did not advance in the Senate that session. Patrick declared the measure dead in the Texas Senate, stating that he sides with lawmakers who oppose this step towards legalization of marijuana. That said, Patrick and other legislators acknowledged early this year that modest proposals would be taken up and potentially approved during the 2021 session, particularly as it concerns to expanding the state's limited medical cannabis program. The lieutenant governor said, sure, that will be looked at this session to quote uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, when asked about the prospect of expanding access to medical marijuana in January. Separate legislation to clarify that a positive marijuana test alone is not sufficient criteria for removing a child from their home was enacted without the governor's signature this month and takes effect on September 1st, 2021. One still pending bill concerns hemp. The Senate Water, Agriculture, and Rural Affairs Committee advanced the House-passed legislation earlier this week. It would impose rules related to the transportation and testing of consumable hemp products. But the panel also added an amendment that advocates oppose because it would ban products with more than trace amounts of Delta-8 Delta THC, which they say would deliver an economic blow to the hemp industry. The change's effect would be similar to the amendment added to the separate cannabis concentrates bill that cleared the full Senate on Friday.
Meanwhile, the House-approved marijuana decriminalization proposal hasn't been assigned to any Senate committee and doesn't appear to have a good chance of advancing further this session. It would make a possession of up to one ounce of cannabis a Class C misdemeanor that does not come with a threat of jail time. So, once again, um, Texas is floundering, struggling to catch up with the rest of America and uh, other more forward-thinking states, which is honestly bizarre to me. This whole thing, I, I, it's been years now that we've been waiting in Texas. And I love, I love this state. I love living here. But one of the main attractions to go somewhere else is these extremely archaic um, and oh, way, I mean, moral and ethical questions aside, the legal and criminal offense, the, the punishments are so overly harsh. Um, and I'm personally tired of living my life having to feel like a criminal for wanting to be well and wanting to be a better person and utilizing plant medicines such as marijuana and, and uh, psilocybin mushrooms to better myself. Um, I'm tired of having to feel like a second-class citizen for doing that. Um, I don't know anyone who's utilizing these plant medicines in, in such a way um, as to be um, detrimental to their life and their health. I think everyone, is, everyone who's using these plant medicines in a responsible manner is truly making an attempt to better themselves. So I'm, I'm personally tired of it, and it's a huge push for me to go somewhere else. Um, so I can only hope that Texas will eventually come around. With all that said, let's get into this chat with Michelle Miller. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Okay, cool. Michelle, what's up? Welcome to Psychedelicast. Thanks for uh, Thank joining you. us today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about you. Um, most of my guests I know a little more about, but that's fine with me. Um, we connected on Instagram, which is like becoming my preferred method of connecting with guests. And it uh, looks like you're an author in search of a publisher, um, you've got a pretty interesting life story that I would like to hear, and I think our, our listeners would as well. Um, and you've got some, some psychedelic experiences that our listeners would probably be interested in, in also. So um, why don't you just briefly introduce yourself to me and our listeners, and then we'll kind of just dig in. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I've been flying under the radar. So um, my name is Michelle Miller. Um, I'm an American expat who's been living in Panama, rural Panama, um, since 2005. And basically I grew up in Southern California with really traditional parents who had instilled all of their American values in my sister and I to get a good education, a job. Um, be financially secure, stable, and that was going to equal happiness and security. And from a very early age, I just started questioning. 
I never let go of the, but why? (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. And I think that is part of it, right? Keeping a childlike curiosity. Um, And so I was always questioning things from very early on. And then psychedelics answered a lot of those questions for me when I was about 15, 16 years old. And basically I was shown that that wasn't the only way that I could live my life in a completely other way or create my own reality. And so I really started stepping out into the unknown and just seeing what I could create for myself. Whoops. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. The, something you said right there off the bat uh, is something that I, you know, think about a lot. Um, I know that you have at least uh, at least listened to my show a little bit to where you know that I kind of went on a walkabout through South America and into Brazil uh, here recently. And that was one of the big things that came up for me. And still, it, it was it's still intoxicating and it still draws you back is that like safety net of American the American culture. And, and I guess for me, because I understand the way that it works, you know, it's like when I was in Brazil, I just didn't understand the, the way things happened there. And so I was like, the longer I stayed, the more uncomfortable I got. And the more I wanted to, the more I wanted to go back to like some place where I could make money and be somebody. And, you know, I don't know, just have that kind of American comfort. Um, that's interesting because I am the complete opposite. I thrive in that uncertainty and I love exploring it. And it doesn't really matter how it works to me. I just want to experience it and be in it and observe it. That's really cool. I would like to be, I would really like to be more like that. Um, and, and when I was younger, I was. And, and I think me part of me going on that was an attempt to reconnect with that aspect of myself to where... I was um, disconnected from my comfort zone, basically. I was in a, in a constant state of uncertainty. And it, it was very freeing and very liberating almost all of the time. But there came a point where I was like, um, I need to get back to my job, my uh, my life, the things I understand. But I also missed, just missed my family and, you know, simple things like that. Um, but it was it was really interesting t- for me to experience like the kind of up and down of that. Uh, one, like I think one, it's an altered state as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and McKenna, you know, you're throwing yourself into the unknown, and you're putting trust into something. You're wanting to learn or experience something new. And for me, travel was definitely like an altered state, and I found it really addictive when I was younger. So I, I, I agree with you. And, and McKenna said something to that effect, too. McKenna said something like uh, tr- physical travel or geographic travel is, is second and close to, like, psychedelic exploration. Or maybe he said it was more important. I can't remember. Um, mm. he's, yeah. I like that. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it definitely was, like, an altered state for me. It was... Uh, it, it was, my status was totally changed, you know? Like. Well, and here's what I found, is the second I stepped out and I tried to go to college one semester and that just wasn't working out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the second I stepped out of the box is when I started 
like noticing by putting myself out there, I was opening myself up to limitless possibilities. And that's true with travel. Whenever you put yourself out there, you're like, hmm, what will I eat today? Who will I meet? What will happen? And basically that became my whole life. Instead of going to college, I was just like on the wander, just seeing what the universe would bring me and seeing where my path would lead me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that sensation too as I was traveling. And, and you know, this this time when I traveled was different than any other time in my life. Normally when I travel, you know, it's for like a week or two weeks and you have a set goal, a place, you want to see everything, you want to, and then come home. Well, this was kind of like open-ended. I don't know when I'm coming home. I don't know where I'm going. And it was very, there was, it was very liberating. To, and I was completely, you know, a lot of the time I spent alone. And, uh... I'm trying to get around to a point of, of, of this American idea of success and um, and why am I so attached to it? And it does it comes from childhood, you know, it comes from my parents. I've been I've been working with a therapist for the last couple months and we're kind of like digging into this at this point. Um, it takes it takes time. I don't know if you've ever been in like talk therapy, but it kind of takes time to like get, it's like psychedelics. Like you have to like get down through layers of bullshit to kind of get to the core. Oh, writing my book has been like that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there are multi, you know, in life there are many forms of therapy and it kind of all does the same thing. It kind of, uh, gets you to ask the questions to peel the layers back. Psychedelics do that. Talk therapy seems to do that. Writing for me is similar. But uh, we're just kind of getting to that to that point of why I, you know, I was like you said, I was raised in a very American conservative family, and uh, I, I kind of sh- thought that I had shaken off all those ideologies years ago. But the more that I explore it, the more I see that no, they still highly influence my life, and even though I don't really agree agree with most of them, you know, it's so deeply ingrained that it's. Uh, I, I'm just getting to the point where I, I, I'm conscious of it so I can start to kind of explore it and, and, and by exploring kind of shed those, those ideas about status and money and it being the most important thing. And um, it's just something that in America you're like, it's just drilled into you. At least it was where I, you know, where I came from. And I, it's, it kind of made me resentful. <laughs> yeah, that is a, was a big part of my struggle and it's a big theme in the book is that I really struggled from having gone so far deep on the spiritual side of renouncing society, renouncing money. At one point, like during one of my most heroic trips, I threw my wallet into the forest and was no longer going to live by my government ID number, which was ridiculous, like no little number could define my expansiveness and I no longer wanted to be part of money or financial gain, especially if it dealt with the harm of the planet. And, you know, I went so far deep. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. It was very hard for me to balance out or find a way to live in the material world. At one point it became even hard to relate to people in the material world that took themselves so seriously or took getting a, you know, paying their bills so seriously. I was like, ah, yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I could see because that's, that's an intoxicating draw as well. And it's something I fantasized about for now, 
I started to kind of fantasize about life like that when I was probably like 25-ish. And like I have this like idea of like living in a jungle somewhere with my cactus and my mushrooms and my weed growing and like just being totally separate from... Come uh, on down! Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's a huge part of me that that really romanticizes and fantasizes about that, and 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 I think that what I'm trying to create in my life now is like a is a happy midway, you know, because I do I want to live secluded with my with my family and animals and and access to my to my friends and family, and also I want to be left alone to you know cultivate my plants and and do the things that I enjoy doing and and live a more sustainable life. Um, but to accomplish that, it, it seems like you need money. <laughs> exactly, and that's where I had to I had to finally come to terms with that and find a balance, you know. Mm-hmm. So my path did eventually lead me to wellness, and um, I knew I wanted to leave the states for good. And so when I shoved out in 2005, I left with, or actually it was December of 2004. I left with what was my fiance, who's my husband now, and we started looking for land in Costa Rica and then Panama and started a small hotel, restaurant, a wellness facility, and and yeah, that's where I've been ever since, and, that, and then that became a lot of work. Yeah, it sounds like a huge project. Yeah, and then I got kind of lost in that and lost in the material again. Uh-huh. So it really is a balance. Yeah, and I can see it being a cycle too, kind of. It seems cyclical, like most things in life. Um, you know, like when I was traveling, it was so pr- like um, present. Like I was just there and I and I was, I didn't have anything to like worry about in the future, you know? Like, you didn't um, have distractions from your daily life and your job and your responsibilities. You exactly, know? exactly, and and you know then when I when I started to get the itch to come back home now now I've been back working and I've been working a lot because um, that's just what I do. I'm extreme about most things, so like now that I'm working, I'm working like constantly all the time every day, um, and. It's been like three or four months now that I've been back working and I'm already starting to feel like like I find myself going to like literally look at Costa Rica, like the flights to Costa Rica and then like price Airbnbs and be like, hmm, if I if I had like this much money, I could fly to Costa Rica and stay there for like six months for like this amount. And like, you know, like uh, kind of make these like these partway plans. But uh, I'm actually going back to Brazil for like 10 days. Uh, in a month, so that that'll kind of like cure the itch a little bit. Nice. I've been wanting to go to Brazil and do like a two week Portuguese class and then travel a bit. Yeah, yeah. Brazil is it was lovely. Uh, I I like it there. Portuguese is so weird though. It's a it's a difficult one for me. I would say if you know if you know your Spanish, which I'm assuming in Costa Rica you probably got a kind of probably got a decent handle on Spanish. You can hold your own. Like you can understand Portuguese. Um, eventually, not right off the bat, because it does, the root is very similar, but it sounds spoken like, it sounds weird, but, uh, yeah, you, you it's get beautiful, that. beautiful language. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I was traveling sometimes with no money whatsoever because I was determined to prove that I didn't need to follow the rules and that they didn't apply necessarily. It wasn't the real world. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it seems like and your experiment worked out pretty well, though. It did, and I and I mean, of course, there was a lot of ups and downs uh, traveling with no money. Uh, and, but, and flying by the seat of my pants. But then that's where the balance came in because eventually I did study massage. And then I would, it sounds like what you're doing, is I would go home just to work, 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 work. And I was living in Alaska, which was also mind-blowing, and I loved it there. And I, you know, felt like I was more connected with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just work to save, to travel, and yeah. I could leave for three months, six months, and then come back to work, save, travel. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've thought about living my life that way, and it's it's always on the table. Um, right now, I'm planning to actually bring my girlfriend from Sao Paulo to America. So that's going to kind of change my life dramatically. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We're working it out. That's a whole logistical nightmare just to actually get someone here from Brazil and, and like to live. So we'll see how that goes. But uh Right. With COVID too, that complicates everything. Eh? For sure. Brazilians she can't even come to America right now. Like Brazilian citizens, the borders closed to Brazilian citizens. Hence why we have to meet in Mexico and I have to go to Brazil. Which is fine because I mean like I'm not mad to go hang out in Mexico and Brazil. Um <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of expensive, but you know, like you said, that's why I come and I grind and grind and grind and then I sta- I just save my money and then I can travel when I want because that's really what I enjoy doing, you know. Um, throughout my life, I've enjoyed doing a lot of different things, but travel has become, like, paramount now. Um, and it, it's become paramount in part because of my career and, like, it, my I can do it, you know. Like, most people who are working, you know, when I was a waiter, just making a little bit better than minimum wage, it was, I couldn't travel. Like, I'd have to save all year to go, like, on a one-week vacation you know, just to some tourist trap. I couldn't just leave and go, you know. But I, but it, I kind of had to prove that, like you're talking about, I had to prove it to myself that it could be done. And uh, I did. I was like, okay, I know from now on in my life, if I need, if I need this relief, that I can do this, you know. Yeah, I think by not falling into the trap of all the things you need or that you want or you have to have you can keep your expenses really low and live a simple life and it's and this is what millennials are figuring out i love it mm-hmm. <laughs> You're probably this is why i live in a this is why i live in a fucking garage right now <laughs> well and my husband and i did the same we lived in a hut while we built our first hotel room and then we lived in that hotel room for five years and then we lived under our yoga studio in what i called the bird cage and <laughs> nice. We lived simple, but we could go travel in the off season and live in paradise, you know. Hell yeah, that and you and so like was it your idea to do all this? Was it your husband's? Was it a group effort? Like how did you find the right person to undertake this? Like seems like it would be difficult to find a partner who who's like into this this yeah, uh, concept. Yeah, it took me quite a few tries. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, me too. Me too. Still working on it. <laughs> but you know, it was that moment when I was like, okay, F this. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I was in Ecuador by myself and, and tired of traveling by myself because it is more difficult and it does get lonely, you know? I was planning on like circumnavigating all of South America and then I spent, I don't know, two months in Costa Rica, two months, which is not South America, two months in Ecuador and was like, oh God, it's a 17 hour bus ride just to get to the border of Peru. <laughs> yeah, I did that a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> and so I volunteered a bit stayed there a while but then I was like you know what I don't care what anybody else is doing I'm just going back to Alaska to work and save to buy a little piece of property down here somewhere yeah that's a great idea and it was um, in that letting go of when I met my husband and I was like oh you don't want to get involved with me I'm relocating to Central America or Latin America so you met him in Alaska and mm-hmm. and your plan was already your plan was already in place. Yep. Oh, yep. that's cool. Well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Everyone always assumed like that he was the instigator, or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nope. He got on my plan. Yeah, and and that's kind of one of the things that I you know that that my girlfriend now we're, we're working on building a future. And, and, and in my mind, this is what, this is the way it would play out. Well, she, you know, she's multi-degreed, multilingual, so she can do well for herself here in America as well once she gets in, in a position to do so. Um, I have a pretty solid career also. I'm like, look, we can grind here in America and, and start our life for, you know, a few years, five, seven years. If we have a little nest egg built up by then, which is very possible if we keep our cost of living low then we can go back to Brazil or we can go, you know, elsewhere in the world because she's, she's spent time in various parts of the world also. So she's kind of uh, lived a nomadic life as well. Um, and, and so relocating is not such a big deal to her. Obviously, she's willing to come to America. So uh, that's kind of what I see on the horizon. Like, I, I think, you know, a, a few years here in America working hard equates to a good future elsewhere in the world um because you know it's the cost of living compared america is so opulent and extravagant and unnecessary and like that was the thing that struck me as soon as i got off the plane back in america i was like what the fuck like this is crazy And, and it's uh like something you touched on earlier was i had just been in places in the world where people didn't have any of the things that we need in america like you just, like, you don't have a car? Well, no one has a car. You just walk and go get on the metro and ride downtown and get off and walk and, like, it's okay. Here, it's like, you got to have a fucking Tesla and you need a new iPhone and you got to have, like, you know, everything. And, yeah, there's uh, so much excess is what I notice when I yeah. go back. And it's interesting because in Panama, thrift stores don't exist Food banks don't exist. Like, that's excess. Mm-hmm. That's abundance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's so much stuff that we're, like, it's spilling over. We have garage fulls of things we don't use, and we're just giving things away. 
and here everything gets used. Everyone's so resourceful and they make do with what they mm-hmm. have. I joke and say, yeah, I'm Michelle, make do Miller. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's funny the things that happen to me on that trip. Like there was one time where I had, because I could only, I took only what I could carry inside a backpack. So I only had a, a limited number of articles of clothing and a limited amount of anything that I didn't buy along the way. So my clothes, I would recycle and I would wash them. And uh, I was with, I made a friend in Colombia, and my clothes were dirty. Like all my clothes were dirty, like on a Sunday. And all of the lavanderias were closed on, on Sunday. Um, so I was like, what am I going to do with my clothes? Like they're dirty. I don't have anything to wear. And she's like, just wash them. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean wash them? I don't have a machine. I can't wash them. She was like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? A machine? <laughs> I got hands. Yeah. She was like, just get some soap and water and wash them in the sink. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. I could just fucking wash my own clothes and it'd like hang them up to dry. And it was like, it was such a funny moment because to her it was like you fucking idiot, you know. <laughs> yeah, why would you think of that? <laughs> yeah, and to me it was like it took me, you know, I had to be coaxed into the idea of like washing my what own clothes. Contrast, yeah, yeah. So things That's like, like the most basic thing. Yeah, yeah, just something simple like that, you know. And then I've talked about on my other episodes, like my during my travel. It's rainy day in here in Texas. I don't know if you can hear that coming through, but. It's a nice little afternoon rain. Just give a little ambiance to the listeners. But uh, I also had some experiences where I was like the minority, you know, where I was um, not in a position of power. And in America, as a white man with a decent job uh, and, a, and a, you know, a family to support me, I don't ever feel, you know, I, I never have to feel like that, that I am out of place, that I am... Um, under scrutiny just because of who I am, where I'm at. And that happened to me a couple times in my travels. And it was very uncomfortable and I didn't like the feeling. But it sh- it, it was it a was good experience for me because it kind of like opened my eyes to, I was like, man, there's people in America who feel like this constantly all the time. And there's people all over the world who feel like this, that live their life under this kind of stress. I'm like, man, that sucks. And I and I don't know if that's possible for me to have experienced that here in the states. <clears throat> so that was yeah. interesting. For me, it goes it goes both ways, right? It's like, um, peop- if you're white or you're a gringa, I'm a novelty sometimes. Of where are you from? And let me help you. And you know, in these government offices, sometimes they'll move things through quicker and friendly, whatever. And then there's also the gringo tax, right? Where we have all the authorities at our business asking for our paperwork and our permissions, and they're going to give us fines and they're looking for bribes or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas the people that are from here don't get that kind of attention. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, it and goes you're, both ways, for sure. Yeah, and I've never been to Panama. I think I said Costa Rica earlier because we were talking about Costa Rica, but you're in Panama. <laughs> um, yeah. I've never actually been there, but uh, it also kind of depends on where you land, you know? Like, uh, I was in Mexico City with my girlfriend a couple weeks ago, 
and it was so it seemed so hard edged and like so unfriendly to tourists or to gringos and uh we just had like several instances of like really weird things and like it's kind of left a bad taste in her mouth particularly for me i was like eh you know this shit happens like it's part of it it just is what it is but uh, she was like i don't ever want to go back to mexico and i was like uh like mexico is a wonderful place like yes fucked up things happen there just like they happen everywhere but it's all okay um, well, it's interesting because, and I think because of my use of psychedelics too, is that I would start to wonder like, okay, am I creating this because of my expectations and so it's mirroring back, you know, or is this, is there a reason why I'm not supposed to go to Mexico? I'm supposed to go somewhere else. You know, I always go deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always no. questioning, like. I, you know, my use of psychedelics has brought that to into my into my life as well. It's like uh, sometimes when when things are seeming to when the, when there's a lot of resistance, like it's a, it's almost a balance of understanding like resistance. Like yes, there resistance is necessary. We need to learn to 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 overcome challenges, but also kind of an intuition about when the resistance is a little too much, and it's like okay, maybe I need to like alter my course and go a different way so yeah i think about that too i'm like is this really like if it's if it's this difficult is this really what i'm supposed to be doing um and yeah you kind of yeah. gotta toe yeah. that line yeah i get into that with my husband a bit because i'm really intuitive and i'm like well no obviously we shouldn't be here we you know all the signs are saying we should go somewhere else. We should do this. And he's like, let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, and I'm kind you of know, like that as well. It becomes a dance of like, well, how do you know when to listen to your intuition? I'm like, no, just listen to my intuition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and, you know, I spent I spent so much of my life, like, in that mindset. And it's effective. It's effective to be a bull in a chunk. Make it happen. Make shit happen. It is. It, it's it's like being a bull in a china shop, you know, and if you just don't take no for an answer and you just push through and make it happen no matter what, there's something to be said for that, but that's also exhausting to live your life like that. It's like... Well, and here's the dance, because it's also like, okay, you want to make that shit happen, but maybe it's not happening because something else completely unexpected and even bigger is in store for you yeah sure yeah <laughs> you know yeah but then it's also kind of like you're like well you know just on the other side you know because like that that mentality has worked for me a lot like when i when i drank ayahuasca the first time i mean i was so fucking scared and i was like dude just stop being a bitch and drink and just shut up and so i did and it was terrifying but then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, thank God. I just like I just pushed myself over that boundary, you know, that I just went through that barrier. And uh, same thing when, when I when I smoked toad, I was terrified and I was just like struck grappling with like trying to not do it. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And finally, the 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 server, uh, whatever you want to call him, he was like, dude, you need to stop thinking and talking so much be quiet, breathe in, and take this hit. And when it's over, you'll thank me. 
And I was like, That's your mantra. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, dude, uh, I'm going to, you're the expert. I'm going to trust you. And then, of course, when it was over, I was like, oh my God, dude, thank you so much. That was fucking beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting. Like, the things that we're most scared of, those are usually what we need the most. And I found it interesting, like, just in society in general, like, and with the worldview of psychedelics shifting now, too, it's like, you know, they were bad, bad substances. I was crazy for going and living, if I, you know, living like a poor person in Central America. And no one could understand. And it's like those things that we most are afraid of have the most medicine sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. The stone yeah. that the builder refused. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> to quote that, that's a Bob Marley lyric, right? I mean, that's yeah, because that's in the Bible. A, yeah, that's kind of an old proverb. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. The cornerstone. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's funny people like what you say about go go live like a poor person. I'm like, bro, when I was living with quote unquote poor people, like. Life was dope as fuck. They weren't, like, always bogged down by going to the office. Like, Saturday and Sunday, they're having a good time. They go do their job, you know, Monday Monday through Friday. It's similar to, in Brazil, similar to the American style, but it's just more relaxed. They're not, like, they're like, eh, if I'm late to work, it'll be okay. Like, I need some more sleep. Like, I'm like, okay, cool, man. Like, I, I'm early to everything. I'm, like, you know, you just... You get so neurotic about, like, these things become so important, so overly important. And, uh, yeah, the Yeah, psychi- the lack of organization here is what makes people more relaxed because it's kind of like, yeah, they say a lot, like, si Dios quiere, if God wants, like, God willing, I'll be at work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, because they just know, like, there's too many unknowns power could be out the you know traffic can be ridiculous there could be a strike like yeah it could be civil revolt and they do there's more religion here and more trusting god of how Mm -hmm. everything's gonna work out yeah 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 like Mm -hmm. yeah i i dig that too i dig that too and, and I felt that a lot in Peru as well when I went there to drink ayahuasca. And, and something you said early on when we started recording was that the psychedelic experience kind of led you into this, uh, down this path. And I know for me, that's definitely what it was. Like, it, it's funny, I, I've talked about this before. People, and I was talking about this last weekend with my friends and family. It's like, uh, there's this stigma around drugs, and, the, it, you know, especially in America, people think they're bad and. And you're getting high, you're wasting your life. I'm like, bro, I was in a, a lost shithead before I started using these substances. And yeah, I want to stop <laughs> calling them drugs. I want to start calling them substances or psychoactive substances. Yeah, yeah. Or, I don't. Yeah. I don't like to call them drugs either, but I'm saying just no, just the let's kind of keep drugs for pharmaceuticals, you know, the real drugs. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and but but I, I use that term as in like just kind of the the American general right, that's concept, the view, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we call these 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 just horrifically addicting, uh, brain altering. Uh, 
drugs, we call that medicine. It's so fucking weird. Like, yeah, uh, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah. And there's some great pharmaceutical drugs. Don't get it wrong. I work in medicine. But, uh, you know, prescribing Adderall to, like, half the population of America and children. I had a lady come in one time, and I was triaging her child, her, her seven-year-old child. And I said, is he on any medication regularly? And she said, yeah, these. And she pulled out a plastic bag and held it up to me. And I said, what are they? She said, I don't know. I don't know. He, his doctor said he needs them. So I took the bag. I Googled the pill on my pill idea. And it was like 15 milligram Adderall. I was like, ma'am, you don't even know your child is on an amphetamine? Like, you need to know what this shit is, dude. Yeah, that was pr- that's Absolutely. pretty. Absolutely. Sh- wow. Yeah. Um, that around about to get back to what I was going into. Um, uh, yeah, ayahuasca was kind of the thing that cracked me open. And, and after, Iowa, after I drank ayahuasca, it was like, I got to get out of here. Like, I, this is not enough, you know. This is not what I'm looking for. Just grinding all the time to, I don't know. I, I had goals and, and ambitions and things. But after ayahuasca, they seem hollow. They just seem like like not important anymore well that's the thing right about once you go so far into the spiritual it's hard to take the material as seriously i think mm-hmm. and I it's think definitely a balance and yeah it requires like admir- love and admiration i think for the ordinary as well mm-hmm. yeah for sure you can't just be on that ayahuasca or that uh, mushroom state of mind constantly Although that might not, I, I don't know about I, like uh, high dose ayahuasca, but like a, a like a medium. I, when I was younger and experiencing with like, <laughs> You're gonna say like, yeah, you like not I, I wouldn't say ayahuasca because I mean I, I don't know about you, but ayahuasca for me was a, is a horse of a different color. DMT is a different substance for me. But like when I was younger and starting to experiment. And I would take low dose or mid range dose of psilocybin, like a gram, a gram and a half, and I would be I would be in that realm, but not like head first diving in. Um, I would think a lot. I would be like, "Wow, this almost seems like the way that I'm meant to be perceiving." Like as if this uh, mushroom has t- like unveiled my eyes. And it, it almost, I would have this sense of nostalgia that seemed like this is how it, it was supposed to be. Well, Stanislav Grof says that he thought psychedelics may have the ability to exteriorize otherwise unseen forces or energy, meaning we may not be hallucinating. We may be seeing what actually exists but we don't normally notice under regular circumstances or maybe it's affecting our brains in another way to where it's giving us superpowers <laughs> yeah it does seem <laughs> I, like that i think it's interesting that we haven't gone that route yet with research maybe it's like a little too much you could have to take baby steps but like the MK Ultra and that kind of stuff in the beginning, the government was onto something with like the superpowers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And like, there's so much weird stuff coming out now that like, 
I hear all this stuff about DMT and there's the government is trying to utilize like long term uh, DMT exposure to communicate with, you know, if you've ever smoked DMT before, then what would you know what Terrence McKenna called the the machine elves or the entities? <clears throat> if you get a good enough hit of DMT, you're gonna encounter things that seem to be intelligent and <clears throat> maybe not uh, humanoid, but uh, uh, possibly humanoid. Uh, um, entities is the best way to describe it. If you've ever, if you I ever t- haven't, but I've heard so many accounts of the same thing. Yeah, it, well, it definitely happens, and it can be, you know, it can range and vary. Some one time I've seen like a, it seemed like an entity made of matri- green matrix code, and he was like throwing this code at me, and it was like, and it was just like pouring into me this like green matrix data. Um, one time it was like this guy with long arms and he was like dropping these balls down these tubes like his arms were moving so fast and he was just like smiling at me. It's like one of the jester uh, archetypes. And then one time, one time so, it see, was... it's all leading towards like, yes, there are other entities and other forces at play. Yeah, yeah. And some of them are really fun and like kind of like, I mean, I'm speaking specifically to DMT. During smoked DMT because during the ayahuasca experience it was much more like extended and like um like the entity there were other entities that were moving around me and entering my my field but like my grandparents were there with me um like it seemed like my physical grandparents were there with me at least in in spirit but they were it was so real that like I could just look up and they were like right there standing with me and they're all they've all they're all dead at that point and uh and then there were other entities that were like not good and they were moving around like I could see things like loping around the room like and as people were purging and it was fucking crazy but uh mm. yeah yeah that's the thing <laughs> I heard uh, your other account about communicating with everybody in the room too yeah, and yeah. I think it does induce like these paranormal, even gifts you could say, right? Psychic abilities and enhance different things like that, which to me has stayed with me. Like certain things, my intuition or like premonitions of somehow being able to predict the future, or just kind of comes naturally to me to where I'm like. Mm, nope, that's not going to happen. This person's going to do that. Or, yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's like the sixth sense. Yeah, it does almost seem like a, <clears throat> you know, it's like uh, practicing or like training, working out. It's like almost like a muscle you can flex. And if you work with it, it, it kind of it gets stronger and stays with you. It comes out of the realm of the esoteric and into your everyday life. Um, but you know, I would have never even understood that that was a thing. Um, actually I never would have believed it until ayahuasca and I had been tripping for years before that, but I just never kind of, I had never gone over that threshold into like the, the true, what seemed to be like the true, uh, gateway, like to really pass through to the other side. Um, and I would have never believed that shit. The same shit that happened to me, I would have been like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. You drank some tea in a jungle and you had telepathy and you could see the future. Yeah, okay. But 
after I came out, I'm like, okay, well, uh, that just happened. Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm trying to communicate all of that in my book in a fun way with like a rolling narrative where my crazy character, like I said, is like renounced society, threw her wallet in the forest, and now I'm moving through the world trying to make life happen for me in an in an alternate reality or lifestyle that I haven't quite found yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I wanted so I it's wanted a quest. <clears throat> I wanted to get into your books. You're writing a you're you've written or are writing a series of books. Yeah, and I've written the first book about four times. <laughs> Everything I've ever written, I've written fucking dozens of times. Yeah. Oh, and congratulations. I heard you say that your writing was accepted on the Woody Creek or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's that's a public... really cool. Yeah, for me, that's a super high honor because Hunter S. Thompson is like a, an idol of mine and, and a lifelong inspiration. So that's to me like the pinnacle of my writing career if you want to call it that yeah and I want heart first is the name of my series I want it to be in that same vein but to me there hasn't been a female counterculture novel or memoir yet that really reflects that and I mean clearly I grew up in the 80s and 90s so it will be like <clears throat> 90s counterculture and there are some self-published stuff that I see coming out now that's exciting. But the mainstream has not received anything like that yet, unless I'm, I'm missing something. So I've really been trying. Yeah, no. I'm trying to get it traditionally published and see if I can deal with tradition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> there's some self. I'm sure you've already researched all this, but there's some self-publishing options on Amazon, things like that. You should you should look. I I would um, look into doing like an audiobook version, something like that, like recording it yourself. That would be really Too. cool. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, no, I I think you're right. I we have Thompson, we have Kerouac, we have McKenna, we have all these kind of uh, you know Leary. We have these psychedelic figureheads but they're all men they're all you know they're all explorers and important but uh i'm trying to think of of a of a female yeah, theories i think she was his ex-wife or i don't know the mother of his children but she, and she's deceased now but they just published a book called psychedelic refugee that's a compilation of her stories and her writing and that i haven't read it yet i need to because um, it's definitely a comparative title in, in my genre. But that's exciting. I mean, she was kind of the diva, the psychedelic diva from that time. Sure, sure. So it, you're, you said you're gonna you, you're writing your story as kind of like kind of in a gonzo journalist style where it's like slightly autobiographical, but maybe slightly embellished, but mostly true. Like, is that the kind of route you're taking? No, it's definitely personal memoir. Okay. Um, and it's less like abstract. Is this really happening? You definitely know when it's drug induced and like what the reality of the situation is. Uh huh. But it's very comical. Like I see the humor and in my ridiculousness of some of the stuff I was doing. You know. Mm hmm. 
So taking people along for the ride, more or less, of what it was like um, traveling with no money whatsoever and just putting my faith in the universe, um, even through Mexico and Central America. Um, yeah, Alaska takes place in Thailand too. Wow, yeah, that I sounds like a, a hell of an ad- that sounds like a hell of an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, you need to get that published. I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I've been trying to sell it <laughs> first. Uh-huh. You know, and I've learned so much about the industry. I first started pitching to agents like two years ago, and that was probably my second draft. And now I've refined it and I'm fine tuning it. And I'm pitching right now, um, but I'm still always polishing and and changing things and then mm-hmm. if not then it wasn't meant to be and I'll definitely self-publish and that will be quicker and I will have all the rights to the name and to my content and all that so maybe that that is what's meant to be but yeah I'm not super familiar with the way that publishing works right now I've only been published in like magazines and, and smaller publications usually through like contests things like that um some of my publications are specifically related to plant medicines, um, but I really don't know anything. And I'm I'm planning to write a novel. I've gotten a I've like I kind of write in bursts, like in blog style. But I have like so many of those that I could easily compile them into like a. I've had the thought to 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 write it in a no, novel novel style, like to compile them, but to create a, like a intertwining narrative kind of like what you're talking about but I've also had the idea of just to like put them all into a volume and like release the volume like that um but I have no idea how that I would even accomplish that you know like it is such an art and I'm I'm learning so much and really appreciating it and it's just so hard to stop because I am an artist um in this in my other life other other life and with art it's always like you, know, you tweak a little here, you do a little there, and then you go, okay, that's enough. I don't want to mess it up or, you know, do too much. And with writing, I'm like, no, and then I can add this there, and then did I already write that? And then it's it's hard to leave it alone, I've found, because I also know it keeps getting better every time and every draft. Mm-hmm. And so I'm almost afraid to, like, stop and just publish yeah. I know it's only going to get better, but at a certain point, you just kind of have to go, okay, enough. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, is the story that I want to tell for this novel finished, or is the story still ongoing? And uh, I'm not sure. So I'm going to just keep like, and I haven't been writing, since I've been back in America, I haven't been writing much at all. Um, my, the li- my lifestyle on the road was so conducive to writing. It was so inspiring. Every day I had something to tell, something to write about. And, you know, a lot of my a lot of my impetus for writing was that I would write in blog style because I was writing on Facebook on my personal Facebook page. And I've done that for years. And then after I came back, I was like, dude, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. Like, I just don't want to be on social media anymore. I just kind of lost. <clears throat> there was like months where I had no cell service. My my phone just went out so I could only use Wi-Fi. And I got used to not constantly scrolling social media and stuff like that. So when I came back to America, I was like, uh, I think I'm just going to deactivate my social media. 
And that was kind of like a, a, a driving force for me to write because it come, I guess for me it came from some subconscious want to be like noticed or like uh, uh, maybe not even subconscious, maybe fully consciously. I wanted to people to like think, oh, you're a good writer. Like you have so much like profound shit to say. And now I'm like, well, if you have so much profound shit to say, then just write a book. You don't have to like tell everybody like... <laughs> you know? Yeah, good for you for getting off Facebook. Yeah, and it was kind of hard, but it's been very rewarding. Now I can't imagine going back to it now. It's been like three or four months, and now I'm just like, fuck that, dude. Like, I, I just don't see ever doing that again. Yeah, yeah all that can become a real time suck. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So... You've gotten your first. You've gotten your first uh, portion of your series written. Maybe still in the editing phase. You know, every time I read something of mine, I want to edit it too. By the way, that's just kind of like the writer's curse. But I also have gotten to the point now where, like, I'll kind of hammer it out. Then I'll go back and edit it, and then I'm like, okay, leave it alone. Like, uh, you're gonna change, and you're gonna read what you wrote, and you're gonna have changed since then. So you're not going to agree with certain things or you're going to think this could be better. But it's also like a snapshot of who you were at that moment. So I don't like to alter it when I'm too far removed because I kind of don't have the grasp of who I was then anymore. Does that make sense? Yes, but in my case, I'm having to go back and put myself in my 19, 20-year-old position back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right from that perspective, and I'm always thinking of more stuff or like present day stuff that I know now, especially about psychedelics, that I could plug in. Because the whole time I'm kind of questioning throughout the narrative of like what's happening to me. Because even though my friends were using these substances, no one was taking this radical approach that I was hardly. It wasn't until I started like talking to homeless people and like really hardcore hippies that I was like, Oh, okay. Somebody gets me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> so I was lacking a lot of support and a lot of understanding g- growing up and being different. And now I'm trying to bring in what I know now mm-hmm. into it and even mention, like, well, this was before The Secret and before Instagram quotes and all this stuff. Like, I had no idea why I, all these synchronicities were happening to me and everything was seemingly working out for me, like, mm-hmm. multiple times every day. <laughs> yeah. It was also, like, uh, I, I, my my... My, the beginning of my exploration was a little bit later than yours. I was like, let's see, I graduated in 2007. So it was like probably 2008 when I took like mushrooms for the first time. 2007, 2008. And uh, there, there was no integration. Like that word wasn't even real. Yes, like, thank you. That was like <laughs> that me and my... That was less than 10 years ago. Yeah, that was like me and my friends my were sitting around. setting. I mean, yeah. I know said that a long time ago but that was not on my radar oh not for me either it was like that's me and my friends sitting in our tiny little duplex taking acid smoking cigarettes inside like just savages you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, totally and my friend's like let's go to the gas station i'm like 
fuck no, dude. You're gonna you're gonna drive right now? No, dude. No way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the dichotomy of like then versus now, you know, with the with the advent of the internet. And I remember like when I was in college around that time, two thousand eight. I was trying to do like a mescaline extraction on my back porch. Like I was out there in like my boxers with like those fucking <laughs> ye- like elbow length yellow gloves. Like with like, I don't even remember, some dangerous chemicals. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I've got some stories that haven't even made it into the book. Like we were slicing poppy flowers in front of a church with a razor blade and trying to get like the opioid or the liquid from the poppy. Uh, <laughs> no, people do that though. People go like sleep in poppy fields and I don't know how they do it, but they do it. But yeah, like I remember at the end of my little mescaline experiment, I had two I had two big horse pills full of this dark brown powder and my friend was like, "I'll take it." I'm like, "Holy shit, bro. I I cooked this shit up and I don't think I'm going to take <laughs> your own risk. And then we both took it together and like nothing happened, so I fucked it up somehow. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, but uh it I've talked about that before coming up in that time is like right around when the internet was starting to uh just emerge. And uh yeah, there was no integration. That's just like No, no integration, no Googling, no even real communication, regular communication with my family or anything because there was no email. There was no, it would have to be a phone call, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was so. no, there was no like, uh, there was no when I when we started, there was no spiritual aspect to it. It was brain candy, and it was like intense, and it would take you to some crazy places. But it's just like, dude, I was tripping so hard last night, bro. Now it's like it's taken on this whole new bent, you know. Um, for See, me, I think the majority of people that were doing it with me, that was kind of their experience, but I was having more of a spiritual experience and realizing, like, no, wait, there's more to the matrix, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was what was really puzzling to me and part of my struggles, just like, why am I the only one? Yeah. All my friends, they're still in college, they're still, they can do the grind. Why am I the one that just can't swallow the conformity pill, you know? Yeah, that can be alienating. I can see how that can be alienating for sure. Because it's alienated me, you know. And I've still, I've still, for the most part, lived a very safe American life. You know, I've did every, it started off rocky. Um, I tried to be a nonconformist, like punk, uh, when I was younger. And, and then I realized, like, it was more punk to kind of, like, twist the system and use it to my advantage. And, like, really live the life I want to live. And, uh, you know, I I kind of developed this outlaw style of life where I compartmentalize, like, my career, my education, and, like, what I actually wanted to do. Which what I I actually wanted to do is explore psychedelics and counterculture and uh, other other ideologies, other religious uh, thought and, and all these other, you know, weird shit, basically, like... I like conspiracy theories and the occult and high strange and, and just anything weird. Yeah, um, supernatural. Yeah, but I had to, I thought, I can't go, I can't delve headlong into that side of life. Um, I mean, like you did. Maybe that was just uh, the, that kind of, uh, 
I was just holding back, you know. But I was like, I want to create a life where it's where I can go to work, make my money, but then I compartmentalize my personal life so people don't bother me, and I could still like live this kind of like underground outlaw uh, life. That's why I'm so excited about this book because to me, everybody wants to quit their day job. Yeah, true. So just read this crazy story about the psychedelic chick that did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, <laughs> you know. know? And that sounds like fun, you know. It sounds like a, a, I think people will find that very entertaining and fun. And it's I, I always love a good adventure, you know. Fucking what's better than like Indiana Jones or like list, reading Terrence Indiana McKenna? Indiana Jones with some psychedelic insights. Yeah, that would be more fun. Exactly. And that's that's what you've created here in, in your series. So. Uh, that's what I'm Anything else you want to talk about? You, I mean, obviously, I want you to like uh, to to plug all your stuff and tell people where they can find you. But is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to discuss? No, you know, I just I hadn't realized really until the internet and until podcasts like yours and more discussions started coming out, maybe four or five years ago about psychedelics, and also when I went to do my yoga teacher training. Um, I, a light came on for me that, oh, like you forgot that those substances were the catalyst, probably the catalyst for, you know, all your exploration. And so it's been really interesting to me, like learning more now of how those substances affected my openness personality trait and how and and understanding myself a little bit more with all the information that people are sharing now so that's super cool yeah (laughs) and thank you. you i love how you share like the psychedelic news Oh, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because otherwise, I mean, I, okay, I'm someone who turned off my television and stopped following regular media almost 30 years ago. Good for you. You're not missing a, so, a whole lot. <laughs> no, I get my info off my spiritual Instagram quotes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Those are always, and those I are always legit, info, by the way. <laughs> yeah, off my psychedelic podcast. So I love when you share the news. That's about the only news I get. That's cool. I'm glad. You're the only person who's ever, who's ever given me feedback on the news. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, yeah, I mean, other than, I mean, how people can support me would be to follow my Heart First series, either on Facebook or on Instagram. The more people I can show that are interested in the book, the greater chance I have for a traditional publisher picking it up and publishing it. Um, But again, if that doesn't happen, you just would know when I finally do self-publish if you're interested in reading it. Follow me there. And I also post lots of these little insights and funny... I don't know, little psychedelic memes and things that are related to the book. So it's very lighthearted and, yeah, inspirational about following your heart and following your dreams. That's dope. That's dope. I'll, I'll link all your stuff in the show notes so people can find you. Well, Michelle, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, thank you for your insight and your the charmed life that you've chosen to live. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it is an adventure and it's inspiring. And, uh, you know, people like you are what drove, ha, have 
inspired me to not only experiment psychedelically, but to travel and things like that. And I'm so thankful that I've come across people like that in my life because um, it, traveling and, and seeing the world is, I to me, the most important thing. Like, we're only going to be here for a little bit, you know, and I want to see as much of, I, like, I've seen enough of the inside of uh, emergency rooms and, and restaurants, waiting tables and shit like that, you know, like, there's a lot more to see out there. Um, so people like you are very inspiring to those of us who want to live like that. And to those listening, you can do it. Michelle is an example. Uh, I'm a, I'm a yeah. short. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a short. You. Yeah. Keep on following your heart and the rest will follow. Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. So thanks a lot, Michelle. Um, we'll see you around. Okay. Thank you, Clinton. All right. Take care. Nice to meet you. You too. All right. Bye. Okay, so now listening to that audio, I can definitely hear that uh, nice little afternoon Texas rain shower coming through nice and clear there. Um, I don't know, man. Just chalk that up to some ASMR or something. Just enjoy it, dude. Just let let it let it carry you away. Um, yeah, it was a rainy day um, there in the garage as uh, Michelle and I were recording, but it was quite pleasant um, for me. And uh, thank you again to Michelle. Uh, fascinating chat, very interesting lady. Um, super excited to be connecting with more and more people like this. Um, yeah, I'm going to link all her stuff in the show notes, but you should follow her on Instagram at Heart First Series. Uh, she's also online. Uh, uh, her, pardon me, her webpage is um, www.heartfirstseries.com. That'll be linked in the show notes for you to follow uh, her work and stay updated with her publishing timeline and as she starts to release her uh, her series of memoirs, which I'm looking forward to. I think it's going to be a fun a fun look at the uh, at a psychedelic lifestyle, uh, especially her coming out of that uh, '90s uh, school of psychedelia, of which I uh, am not a uh, an alumni. Uh, my psychedelic ex- exploration did not start until the mid to late 2000s, so I was a little bit behind Michelle. Um, but uh, in chatting with her, it seems that we've shared a lot of similar life experiences. So thank you again to Michelle Miller of Heart First Series. With all that being said, guys, here at the end of the segment, I'll implore you one final time. Check us out at www.patreon.com slash psychedelicast. For $3 a month, you can support the show, help me out, grab some extra content, and you can watch the video version uh, of this chat with Michelle there, as well as probably the last 10 or 15 uh, segments video formats exclusively on patreon.com slash psychedelicast. Join us there to support the show and to uh, gain access to some exclusive content. Um, Other ways to support the show, um, you can subscribe to it on the podcatcher of your choice or any and all podcatchers that you you utilize. Uh, Drop us a review. Leave us some stars. Uh, Follow us on social media and share the show with your friends and those in the community. Uh, It's greatly appreciated. And uh, it makes this whole project worthwhile. And uh, that's why I keep doing it, because it ain't paying the bills. But it is uh, a labor of love, and I enjoy it, and I enjoy bringing you guys good content. And I hope that you enjoy it as well. So thank you. Let's do our quote. We'll let you guys go. 
Today we'll leave you with a fitting quote um, from, uh, from a poet, uh, one Roman Payne. I wandered everywhere, through cities and countries wide, and everywhere I went, the world was on my side. Thank you so much for joining us, Psychedelic Casters. As always, your time is much appreciated. Thank you for deciding to spend it with us in the attempt to pry open the third eye. Until we meet again, take good care of yourselves. Bye-bye. <laughs>